Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, as we come before your throne to worship you, I ask you, Lord, that the message that you have given us today be your words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, for the present truth of what we need for today. Lord, anoint the words, anoint our hearts as we bow before your throne. In Jesus' name, we put all of this. Amen. All right, I'm going to be spending uh, all of December up to Christmas Eve on the Christmas story. Every Sunday uh, and Christmas Eve as well, I will preach on another aspect of the Christmas message. It's so amazing when you study what God did uh, that day and the events surrounding it and the lessons that he has for us. It never gets tiring. It's so amazing. And so today I wanted to speak to you uh, about Joseph. Joseph. We don't talk about Joseph too much. We talk about Mary. We talk about the shepherds. We talk about the wise men. But somehow Joseph gets kind of swept aside, and we overlook this story. And so I believe that God has incredibly important words for us as we study the reaction of Joseph to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the message from the angels. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 to 25. And this is Matthew explaining now uh, the uh, implication of what the angels said to Joseph. 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah, quote, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Amen, Lord. Amen. Now, this was a major step of. Betrothal was a major step during that period of time. Uh, And if you were a young couple and were betrothed, uh, effectively, you were legally married. The the actual Hebrew word for that is called kedushin, K-I-D-D-U-S-H-I-N, kedushin. And a young man and his fiancée would be legally married in the eyes of the law, but they had to wait a year before they were legally allowed to consummate their marriage. 
Now, one of the important reasons why they had that custom was that these marriages were typically arranged by families. uh, And they wanted to make certain that the girl was pure. And so in order to be certain of their choices and certain of the character of the girl, they would wait that year uh, in order to see how she lived and what her character was like. And so in every way, though, beforehand, uh, during the betrothal period, you were considered legally married. In fact, if you wanted to break this off, you needed to have an official divorce. Uh, And so during this betrothal period, Mary shows up pregnant. I try to imagine what that had to be like for her husband, all the dreams that he had, all the plans that he had for his life as to what he would do and where they would go and what they would be. All of a sudden, it all evaporates as this woman who I'm sure he loved and would nurture is the special girl in his life suddenly shows up pregnant, and yet he had not slept with her. And so you would expect, as Joseph does, you would expect in his humanity, he does not believe the story that she tells him. You can see, Joseph, trust me, I'm pregnant from God. Really? Really? I love you, girl, but that's a little far-fetched, all right? And so you can imagine this. He's a simple man. He's a carpenter. He's, he's a godly man. He knows the scripture. But this is a far-fetched tale. And so scripture tells us in these verses that Joseph was, quote, a righteous man and did not want to expose her to a public disgrace. And by the way, uh, being pregnant during this period of time would, in fact, entitle you to a public disgrace. Uh, certainly, uh, divorcement. But even under Jewish law at that time, she could have been stoned. She could have been stoned. And so this man, this righteous, holy man, wants to do it in a quiet way. Uh, He doesn't want to disgrace her. Uh, He wants to quietly divorce her. And so Joseph chooses grace over the law. How about that? The father of Jesus. Grace over the law. And so as he dealt with this heartbreak, and it had to be profound, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream, saying, quote, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus which meant he will save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place uh, because this is what the Lord had prophesied through Isaiah 700 years before, where, where the prophecy was, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And here's the thing that you have to know, that for 700 years, all of the elders and the religious leaders were confounded by this prophecy. Even today, if you talk to a rabbi, as I have done, and and Jewish leaders, they will tell you, well, that means that a maiden, a maiden would conceive. And I said, 
there are millions of maidens that have conceived. What kind of prophecy is that? That's not a prophecy. That's a commentary on the everyday aspect of life. But a virgin conceiving? That's a totally different matter. And so when Joseph awakes from his sleep, he did precisely as what the angels commanded him. He took his wife. He took Mary. Uh, and he brought her into his home, but he did not have relations with her until after Jesus was born. And he called the name of the child Jesus, just as the angels had indicated. What a perfect picture of submission and obedience. When even when you don't understand what God is doing, even when it's confounding to your mind and to the culture and society and subjecting you to ridicule and persecution, you stand up for what God says to your heart. What an astonishing turn of events. He was a righteous and simple man. He worked as a carpenter. Why would God put the birth of the Son of God himself in this unusual way with this unusual man? Why would God, fearing people, have their reputations wrecked and be persecuted in this negative way? And I want you to realize there was no private explanation during the early years of Jesus' life, there was no private explanation of the events given to these two main characters. I don't want you to think they could say, well, let's look in the book of Matthew and see what's going on. There was no book of Matthew. In fact, the, the Testament, the first story that would come out about these events came out about, about 40 years later. And so here they were exposing themselves to ridicule, to persecution, and yet no one in the community would be privy to what had taken place. No news bulletin. No public commentary. Just a lot of gossip and slander. And so these people sacrificed their reputations to God. And that's the first point I want to make today, is that some of you in this room have also, also sacrificed your reputations to God. Some of you here have been slandered and blasphemed, been lied about. Even people that you know and respected, sometimes even family members, have said terrible things about you, not knowing that you have stood tall for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to say to you today is this is a man who stood tall for God at a time when it wasn't easy. He stood tall because through the Holy Spirit, he knew that what God had said to him was true. He stood tall because he knew that God had given him one of the most incredible honors that he would give to any man. You shall raise my son. And so what an amazing picture this is of this simple man and this simple woman. Yes, we talk about Mary and we should. But we don't talk about Joseph. We don't talk about what it took to step forward as that father of Jesus. And I want you to know something, that those of you who have been slandered and sacrificed your reputations because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has a long memory. He has a long memory. He will not forget your commitment. He will not forget your faithfulness. 
And that's why Joseph resides in the pantheon of the giants of faith. And so Mary and Joseph lived with this reputation for many years. Uh, and as theologians discuss it, and as I've studied it, there was never any clarification about this birth, um, Mary's pregnancy during this period. There was never any vindication of it until the New Testament was written about 30 or 40 years later. And so when Joseph married her, you see, when he took her into his home, effectively, he gave Jesus his name. He was the one who named Jesus. That was the responsibility of the father. And so what Joseph was saying to the world, I am his father. And so this is a deeply significant event, deeply significant because we don't talk about it that much. But let me explain to you why it is so significant. It means that in naming the child, Joseph acknowledges him as his own, as his own son. And thus, he becomes the legal father of the child according to Semitic law. Now, what's the importance of that, becoming the legal father of Jesus? Well, you see, as a result of this legal adoption, Joseph's ancestry as a descendant of Joseph, a direct descendant of, of David, rather, excuse me, transfers now also to his son. So Joseph is in the direct lineage, uh, a direct lineage of David. And now because Jesus is his legal son, effectively Jesus now winds up being in the direct biological ancestry of David. And so here's the point. Biologically, Jesus is begotten by the Holy Spirit and is the son of God. But legally, legally, in the eyes of the law in Israel, he is the son of Joseph and heir to the promises of David, Joseph's ancestor. Now think about the amazing aspect of that because what happens in Luke chapter 1 verse 32 when the angel Gabriel speaks to Mary and says to Mary, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Well, how about that? That's how he got the throne of David. You see, God gave it to him when Joseph legally adopting him. And so David really becomes Jesus' earthly ancestor. Do you see how God is taking the puzzle pieces from throughout the universe? You talk about the mystery of God and the incredible surprises of Christmas, and God is taking a piece here and a piece there and bringing one person together and, br and bringing another person and putting together this incredible story that resonates with us 2,000 years later. Now, here's the thing. This pregnancy ruined both of their reputations in the community. Make no mistake about it. All right, when we, when we talk about, about the, the Christmas story uh, and, and we reflect back 2,000 years, uh, it, it's, it touches our heart and, and it elevates us, but we never really think about what it was like for the 
direct people who were involved were Joseph and Mary, as their reputations were slandered and sullied during this period, period of time. Mary did not get, did not get the storybook wedding that young girls during that period of time would want. You know, if you were married during that period of time, when the marriage finally was consummated after a year, the wedding ceremony would last one week. One week. And you know that from the marriage at Cana, uh, as they, they were there celebrating so greatly that they consumed all the wine. And Jesus had to come back and, re- and create the greatest wine that was ever produced in order for that marriage feast to take place. So you can imagine that. All those dreams, all those plans go up in smoke. Go up in smoke. Uh, and, and moreover, because of the, the birth of Jesus, both Mary and Joseph would have to flee their homeland. Let's talk about that. You know that, that here Joseph takes Jesus into his home, takes Mary into his home, and now there they are, and within the first year of Jesus' birth, Herod learns about the birth of this supposed king, and so decides to slay every baby in Bethlehem under the age of two. And so they have to flee. They have to leave their homeland. They have to leave their friends. They have to leave their family and travel to Egypt. You think that was a vacation community? I mean, they didn't know anybody there. Not only that, I want you to reflect on this. This was a man who had his own business. He built a business. He was a carpenter slash mason. And so now in the middle of the night, the angel says, go now, leave now, go quick. Pack up and leave. And so there they go. They leave in the middle of the night and they travel to Egypt. Joseph did that, protecting Jesus and Mary. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing for us. God is speaking to us today about how he expects to live as Christians, how we are expected to live. And I believe that God is setting out important markers for the pattern of the Christian life. This is important. You see this man, Joseph, and so he is serving as a paradigm to us. God is using him to paint the picture of what it means to be committed as a Christian. What will people need to do in order to follow the Lord? You know that I've always told you this, that so many people, when they come to faith, they stay in day one. They believe in Jesus, but they stay in day one. They never take up the cross. They never follow him. They never walk with him. And so here you see the picture. You see the picture of clarity of day two and the rest of of your life in Joseph. And so I believe personally that as you study this story, that there are four elements from Joseph's life that can inspire us today in our Christian walk. Four elements that inspire us today. And in each of these elements... In the life of Joseph, God gave uh, Joseph the strength and resolve to follow through in righteousness and obedience with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so when we reflect on this, we see Joseph as a compelling and inspiring figure that resonates to us even today. So first, first, if we are to follow Jesus in today's world, we must have trust in him with absolute obedience. We must have trust in him with absolute obedience. Joseph had to believe the impossible. 
He had to believe the impossible and risk everything in his life based on believing the impossible. You do not do this because Joseph is just a great man or a good man or a powerful leader. You do it because you are sold out to God. You are inspired by the Holy Spirit and you have an inspiration for what God's plan is in your life. Absolute obedience in every way. And so he knew it. He knew that Jesus was the son of God. He knew that in his house, he was raising the very Messiah. He knew that all the prophecies of scripture were coming together when he looked at that little boy in his carpenter shop. You can imagine what that had to be like. As he saw Jesus there every day, being there as his uh, father and inspiring. This is why our lives are meant to be sacrificial. When God calls us as Christians, when God calls us to walk, he is expecting us to make our lives sacrificial, meaning we take our lives and we put our lives on the altar of God. Lord, I am yours. Lord, you do with me as you would want. You take me, Father. You take me, Father, and shape me, Father, in every way. I give you my life. That's what you have to say. I give you my life. And so when we do that, we shows that we have faith in the unseen promises of an unseen God. We don't see God, but we walk in faith. We don't walk in sight, but we walk in faith. And so we are meant to have an absolute confidence in the promises of God. And so in living, in living a committed Christian life, we may at times have to be separated from friends and family who do not share our commitment. What do you think it was like for Joseph in the middle of the night to be told, get up and leave now, go to Egypt? But God, I don't know anybody. I have no home there. I have no way to make a living. I don't know what you're telling me, Lord. It's a strange land. I won't be there for my support network. Get up and go now. And he obeyed. And he obeyed. And so will we choose to follow God in the same way? Will we obey God in the same way that they did? And you know, Jesus spoke out on this. And I've read it before, but it bears reading again. Turn to Luke chapter 14. When you understand what Jesus calls the commitment. Luke, Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. There it is. The Lord makes it very clear what it takes to be a disciple of Christ. Putting it all on the altar of God. Putting your life on the altar of God. Not caring what your family and friends say. Not caring, really, if your family doesn't support what you're doing. Because you are searching and spending your time predicated on the word of God. You are walking with God. And so when you see this and you see what the Lord says, you understand the heart of Joseph. 
the fact that he could get up in the middle of the night and travel to Egypt and live in Egypt for a period of years until Herod the king would die and it would be safe for him to return. Now, Joseph was also committed to self-denial. Following Jesus means denying yourself of some things that the world might give you. If we are to follow the Lord, we have to submit to his will. And so things in his way might mean even self-denial. You know, you might not get that job in your company because they know that you are sold out for Christ. Or, you know, in your country club, you might not be looked at as that popular. Or, when, or, or, or really, even your family, when you go to family dinners, you know, they'll look at you and they'll say, he's a nut. He's a religious nut. We don't understand him. You understand? There's some of you have experienced all of this. All right? And what happens is it involves self-denial. And if you can't be self-denied for Christ, then you haven't taken up the cross and walked with him. You have not taken up the cross and walked with him. And so if we are to follow Jesus in the way that his own father wanted it, it means denying ourselves in every possible way. And Joseph also willingly embraced inconvenience. How about that? Inconvenient. You know, sometimes it's not convenient to follow Jesus. It's not convenient. Sometimes you can't go the places you want to go, or you can't live the kind of life that you might want to live. And you might not be able to uh, spend the kind of time that you want to live with because God has called you to follow him. He's given you ministries and expects you to step up and support those ministries walking with him in a righteous way. And so it's not convenient to get a call in the middle of the night and say, go to Egypt. Go to Egypt now. Oh, Lord, it's not convenient for me. It's just not a good time for me. You don't see that here. You see this humble, righteous man picking up his family and fleeing in the middle of the night in such a poignant way and spending years in exile away from his parents, away from family, away from friends, alone in Egypt, in exile, in order to protect Jesus Christ. He understood that was the call on his life, that that's what God had for him. And that's what God has for us. When we walk with the Lord, we do so irrespectively of convenience, of inconvenience. And so perhaps the most eloquent discussion of the faith of Joseph is discussed in James chapter 2, verse 14. Now, why is this so poignant? I'm going to tell you something that you might not have thought about before. But James, the writer of the book of James, was the full biological son of Joseph. The full biological son of Joseph. He was the half-brother of Jesus, but he was the full son of of Joseph. And so James had a front row seat 
on the loyalty and faithfulness of his father. He saw how his father lived. He saw the very lifeblood of his father. And look what he says here about faith in James chapter 2, verse 14. And you know that James did not believe Jesus was the son of God until after the resurrection. But James would become effectively the head of the church in Jerusalem. And so look what James says here. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it in the same way? Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. He saw his father. He saw his father having the faithfulness of a righteous man, believing in the scriptures, believing what the angels said, taking Mary as his wife, raising Joseph as his own. He saw him having all the faith of all that, yet he saw his father walking daily with deeds, walking daily within the light of God. And so that's the lesson. We could say whatever we want about what our faith is, but folks, Words are cheap. Words are cheap. In the end, the question is, what is your life? What example do you have in that regard? And I can tell you this, that some of the most impactful lessons in my own life was the fact that I had a chance to live in the home of two godly people. And I remember my dad. I remember well when he still was, was called to serve in a, a small church that couldn't support him in the ministry, and so he would have to work uh, in those early days. I remember he would be about 40 years old. I was a young teenager at that time. And my dad would work in a foundry, a bronze foundry, in the most hideous type of circumstances, where the heat was intense and so intense that the bronze pourings would actually get into the pores of his skin. And he would come home at night. And he would come into the house at 4 o'clock. And when he would take a shower, the very bronze pourings would stain his clothing. And he would take that shower. He would eat dinner quickly. And we'd get in the car and we'd go to church. And he would preach every single Wednesday, every single Friday. You know, I can't remember half of my father's sermons. But I will never forget that. You understand? That's the legacy of your life. The deeds that God gives you to show the world and your children what you stand for. Your faithfulness in every word. Remember, it's not your words that have the great impact. It's the essence of your life. And Joseph filled that bill in every single way. He put his life on the line for Jesus Christ. And so we honor him and recognize him uh, because he is involved in the family that has given us salvation forever. His memory should sear into our own memory. Absolute obedience, absolute self-denial, 
and a willingness to embrace the inconvenient for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the only way that we can follow Jesus with the strength of character that Joseph had is through the Holy Spirit. We can't do it in our own human strength. We have to bow and ask God to fill us with his spirit. And so that's why for 700 years that prophecy stood fallow and nobody in Israel could understand what it meant. But only through the power of the Holy Spirit when the angel came and the revelation was delivered to Joseph did he recognize, oh, now I know a virgin shall conceive I understand it is the Messiah. I understand it is Jesus. And Joseph saw the very fulfillment of that dream in his own house. And so God kept his promises. 700 years earlier, he makes the promise, and yet God kept his promises. And he keeps his promises to us today. There's no difference. You know all the promises that God has made in Scripture And you can take them to the bank. Nothing has changed. And so Joseph represents really the best of the Christmas miracles. Uh, He bowed in submission and humility and accepted the decisions of God, even if it was inconvenient, even if it put him out of the way, even if it subjected him to persecution. He understood the promises of God, and he understood the personal role that he had in this story. Now, you know that the last mention of Joseph in the scripture is when Mary and Joseph traveled to Jerusalem for the high holy days, and they lost Jesus for three days. Uh, and Jesus finally turns to them when, he showed, when they, they finally saw him, and he said, don't you realize that I have to be about my father's business. Don't you realize? And so you can understand the commitment of Joseph to this young child who clearly is the son of God. And so here he is. He passes away. He's not around when Jesus comes into the public ministry at the age of 30. Joseph had passed. Uh, But he gives us a lasting, eternal example of a husband And a father stepping up based on the call of God, protecting his family in every way. What a powerful, powerful teaching point this is, that God speaks to our hearts today. And so as we traverse the Christmas season, as we move towards Christmas Eve, I would ask you to really reflect on the life of this righteous man and use him as a paradigm. Use him as an example and ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you can live that kind of life, that committed life to walk with Christ in every possible way. As we honor Jesus' name, as we honor God, as God intersects humanity with the birth of his own son. And our responsibility is to take that son, take take that name, and give it to a world that is lost. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father, for the lessons of Joseph. Father, I thank you for this image of this righteous man, this godly man who bowed in submission to your word, even when he didn't fully understand it. Lord, we are like that ourselves. 
And so I ask you, Lord, that each and every one of us recommit our lives today to step out for you, no matter what, even if, in fact, we are subject to ridicule and persecution. We stand tall for you. We want to be there with you so that when we see you finally face to face, you will say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. God bless you.